Um, but you opened up your home, your wallet, your life, and uh, man, you've made it just really special for us. And uh, so I just want to humbly thank you uh, for being so gracious. Appreciate that. You guys have a great man of God. And, uh, and he loves because God loves him. And uh, that's very, very apparent. Um, my purpose this morning is uh, to help you see that your obedience will reveal Jesus to the world. Your obedience will reveal, not can, should, might, will reveal Jesus to the world. I know that you've been going through these little booklets, and, uh, and so if you have it, you can jump right into it. I want to share with you a section that, that Damon didn't read. Uh, it, it goes through, mockers shake their heads at him. Um, there's the Old Testament prophecy found in Psalms 109. Then the New Testament fulfillment found in Matthew 27. The second, that, that verse goes like this, 27, 39, and 40 go. Those who passed hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the son of God. Just full, full total mockery. And, uh, and, and when I look at that, though, there's a, when, I, when I saw the little booklet, um, I couldn't help but be really impacted by the little prayer. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Lord, are there times that I mock you? Oh, how conviction sets on in my heart. I wonder what you could accomplish through me if I had absolute and complete faith in you and the resurrection power that you offer to me. Oh, dear Jesus, this journey is tough, and sometimes I let the world influence my thoughts and actions. Please continue your redeeming work in my heart, mind, and soul. Thank you for revealing your truth that sets me free. And I couldn't help but key on that, um, you know, have we... I, I thought about it, it's like, wow, if I really want to see Jesus revealed in me, then there's going to be um, the almost certainty that I'm going to be mocked too. When we follow somebody, we become like them, don't we? When we are a disciple, when we choose to obey, then we're going to probably experience the same things that they experience. And so I looked at that statement and I thought to myself, you know, uh, if I want Christ to be revealed in me, first of all, I have to be obedient. And if I follow him, I'm going to be mocked just like he was. And so I, I kind of keyed on a couple of words. First is obedience. Obedience simply means to comply or to follow the commands, to comply or follow a restriction, to respond to an action, to submit or conform. Man, that's a hard one. And so I kind of started looking. I go, okay, so um, it says to follow. So I went through in the New Testament, and I, and I uh, looked up the times that Jesus said, follow me. But not in the invitation part, like he's going up to uh, Peter, right? And he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Not that. It's actually the next step. He invites them. The follow me, the, there's some, um, some follow me's that are the invitation part. But this isn't the invitation part. This is, if you follow me, then this. And so I want to read to you. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In Mark 8, 34, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Are we seeing a little trend there? Luke 9, 23 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, what I didn't read to you was the first time Jesus says it in Matthew because it's a little strong. It says this in Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Wow. That's a pretty strong statement. So it's not only if you follow me, take up your cross, but if you're not willing to take up that cross, you're not even worthy of being a disciple of Jesus. That's strong. And it's not meant to heap condemnation. It's just black and white, isn't it? Right? He says, hey, this is the way that it is. This is how important that I, um, that I uh, think that this carrying the cross, taking up the cross daily, and following me. In Luke 14, 27, it says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow. Two really strong statements. So now we've got his attention. So if he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to do this. Not if you want to. You might want to do this. You might want to think about it. We need to do this. And, uh, and so now he goes down. John has a lot more grace in how he says things and his view on, on Jesus. He's very, very kingdom-minded. Um, he records three of these, and it says this in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So now all of a sudden we have a promise. So now if we follow and take up the cross, now we will never walk in darkness. Isn't that encouraging? That if while we're carrying the cross, that doesn't mean it's doom and gloom. While we're picking up that thing every day, that we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. So when I am carrying that cross, at least I know where I'm going. Well, there's nothing worse than carrying the cross and not even knowing which direction you're supposed to go. You're in trouble. Man, you are just, everything's on you. Things are happening. Nothing's positive, And you're just lost. Has anybody here ever been in a fog? You just don't know. You're just lost, right? You're not hearing, you're praying, you're worshiping, you're spending time, you're serving the Lord, you're trying to be obedient, and you're just not seeing it. It's just, it's just not there. And, and God, it might be silent for that moment, but it says we don't have to walk in darkness. And so that's really cool. John in 10, 27 says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So as we're carrying the cross, when we're following God, God says, hey, uh, you're following me. I know who you are. And guess what? You're going to recognize when I speak to you, if you listen. In John 12, 26, it says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So in the middle of mockery, we're still honored. I think that's really encouraging to me. So when I suffer for the sake of the cross that I carry, there's honor in that. We don't mock soldiers who they lay their life down in battle, do we? What do we do? We honor them. They've suffered for our freedom to protect, to serve their country. And there's no mockery in that. There's no shame in that. We honor them. And so this is a really, for me, just really cool because I would like to think that in one sense I serve as a soldier for Christ. So whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. I think that's really cool. You can be honored by no greater person, amen, than God. To be honored by God is a really, really cool thing. So to sum that up, if I obey and follow Jesus, I must pick up my cross. That does not sound easy. Obedience is sometimes very hard. 
But when we do, Jesus is revealed and his will is done. Now, when I go back to a little phrase in that prayer that I read in the booklet, it says, I wonder what you could accomplish through me if I had absolute and complete faith in you and the resurrection power that you offer me. And we'll talk about that um, towards the end of my message. What would Jesus accomplish through you? What does he want to accomplish through us? So what could he accomplish in you? And what does he actually want to accomplish? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he makes some of that very, very clear. A huge portion of who we are as disciples is summed up in this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus starts his ministry with follow me, and he ends it with go make disciples. And I think that's really cool. It shows a cycle. So he says, follow me. And why he says follow me is because he wants them to watch him. He wants to observe his life. He says, walk with me, spend time with me, and, and I'm going to show you how to live this life, how to be my disciple, how to do this thing. And then after he's done spending time with them, he says, now go and do likewise, right? In fact, there's verses that say that. But this is really cool because it says, um, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So he taught them some things. And now we get to teach that to other people as we're going and making disciples. That's huge. So what would Jesus want to accomplish through us? Make disciples. Okay. What does he want to accomplish through us? Make disciples. Okay. So really, really clear. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, even though he starts with follow me and he finishes with go make disciples, that's a really strong uh, cycle there. But I want you to understand and not be fooled that God's purposes will be accomplished. See, if you choose not to obey this, disciples are still going to be made. Don't, don't fool yourself to think that somehow God it needs you or is held captive by your lack of obedience. Disciples will still be made. In fact, there's a few verses. I just pulled out a couple of them. They kind of show his character in this area. Uh, for different things that, that are happening in the Bible, there's one uh, in Revelation. It says, for God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. So he is going to accomplish his purpose, and his words will be fulfilled. That shows his character. He's a God that says, when I say something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you know what? I love that. How many of us have ever been let down by somebody? Right? Anybody ever told you they were going to do something and didn't do it? Anybody ever bullfaced just lied to you? Okay? That's human nature. How many of us have done that to somebody? I'll be the first one. Hey, I've told people I'm going to do something. And sometimes I just want to blow them off and say, you know, I'm just telling you so you'll leave me alone. And other times I, I want them to like me because I want to be liked. And so I'll tell them that because I'm hoping, boy, if I just do that for them, if I help them out, they'll think I'm a great guy. And then what happens? You say that too many times and you just can't do it, right? Then you're, oh, oh no, man, I made too many promises. I can't, I can't do this thing. And so um, I love that God, God's words are going to be fulfilled. In Matthew 5, 17 and 18, it says this. 
do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a pen will be any means, by any means, disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's a pretty strong statement. Not a letter or a stroke of a pen, which would be like a comma. Wow. So that shows his character. It shows that he's a God that will accomplish his purpose. So we have a choice. We get to be a part of what he's doing and live in obedience and see Christ revealed through our lives, through the people that we live life with, or it's going to go on without us. Let me explain it this way. God's telling a wonderful, epic story in his word. Amen? I hope you read it every single day. I hope it feeds you. I hope it's the very breath uh, of, of, your, of your spiritual life. He's telling a wonderful, epic story in his word. And he's invited us. Listen to this. He's invited us to play a small part in this epic story. And I think that's really cool. But here's our perspective sometimes. We think we've invited God into our story. A little bit backwards, right? But it's almost a little bit human interest. Like, I asked God into my life, and it's my life. And I always think about that movie that had the guy that was born in a studio, and they're all watching him, right? And it's all about him. The whole thing centers around him. Sometimes I think that. And he starts getting all paranoid, and he starts seeing things that don't make sense. And he thinks everybody's like, about him, and, and I think about that, I think, you know, I, I sometimes do that, but here's the really cool thing. We have a choice. We can play the starring role in our small story, or we can play a small part in God's epic story that he's telling, his epic tale. I'll take the small role in God's story anytime over have, being the star of my little tiny insignificant story. And so when we have that in perspective, all of a sudden, it, 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 just, it just changes the way that we view this God that we're called to obey, that we're called to follow. And when we begin to do that, all of a sudden, Christ begins to be revealed in our everyday life. What does he want to see happen? Because if we agree that God's telling a story, then we better find out what the story is, right? We want to be a part of God's story because the way we pray is, God, Change my life. No, it's God. What are you doing, and how can I be a part of it? What's going on? What is your purposes? What's the will for you in my family, in my workplace, at my school, in my neighborhood? And what do you want me to do? What part do I play in this, this thing that you want to accomplish? So I want to go to the Word and show you some things that God has already laid out. And, and it, when we begin to look at it, we go, wow, God's been kind of telling the story for a long time. And we see thousands of years go by, and his word continues to be fulfilled. And Isaiah, Isaiah talks a lot about the Messiah. Um, huge portions of scriptures prophesying about the Messiah that will come and some things that will happen to him. And some in, like, just amazing detail. Also, you're like, wow, they couldn't have. They couldn't have possibly manufactured that. That was the odds that that would, that would have happened just don't work. So here's some things that Isaiah says. In 49.6, it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Talking about Jesus. So check it out. My salvation 
may reach to the ends of the earth. So what is his plan for salvation? Just for Colorado Springs? Just for Rapid City, South Dakota? Just for you and your family? No, it says that his purpose for Christ is that salvation would reach the ends of the earth. So now we know what God's doing. We know part of his story. So now we have to decide, what part am I going to play in that? Because it's being told. It's been prophesied. It's been starting to be fulfilled, but we've got a long ways to go. Can we agree? So in Isaiah 15, this is probably, sorry, Isaiah 53, this is probably one of the more significant and famous prophecies of, of the Messiah and, uh, and him coming and some things that are going to go on with him. And so in, in 53.4, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's another part of the story, right? So all of a sudden, when we begin to unfold God's story and what's happening, we see that we're sinful. But this right here says, wait a minute, no. Jesus came to deal with that. The sin part is unavoidable, right? In Romans, it talks about that. We're all born sinners, every single one of us. And then before they're talking about that in Romans, Isaiah's over here saying, here's here's what's going on. This guy's going to take care of this. Before you guys even knew, before you guys even thought about sinning, there it is. It's already done. It's already taken. So that's a pretty significant thing because when you begin to uh, when you begin to obey and follow, and Christ begins to be revealed, the people that He's revealed to, they're going to want to know, what did Jesus really do for me? Why should I serve this God? You could say, hey, right here, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us uh, His own way, and the Lord laid upon the iniquity. So. Already, hey, you're a sheep. You went astray, and Jesus already covered. He already took care of all that. And because people know, people know when they're lost. They know they're not, they, they're searching for something, right? Because we were created to give God glory. And when we don't do that, there's an absence. There's something that just doesn't fit. And what does the world fit, fill it with? What does the world fill it with? Money, sex, possessions, fame, fortune. And all those things are fleeting, aren't they? But we try to fill them with those things, and they're temporary. In Isaiah 11, it talks about, there's a prophecy about Jesus, and it talks about uh, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And it begins to just go down and down and down. And I just read you guys little excerpts of some of these uh, just incredible things about who Jesus is, but this, this stump of Jesse, can anybody just shout out, who's the stump of Jesse, or what's the stump of Jesse? Aside from Pastor Derek, he, he, he can't answer. Anybody know? Okay, yes. And then we know that Jesus is in the line of David, right? So we have Jesse, David's father, then David, and then all the, sorry, and so, so we, we go down, and all of a sudden we see this lineage that goes down, right? It goes from, because it says he would be born of the house of David. So we begin to see this stuff. Now, God's telling a story, and it includes this kid named David. And his brother said he was proud, kind of cocky little kid, you know? He's good looking, muscular, 
could, you know, kill a fly with a rock on a slingshot, those kind of things. And, uh, and so here he is, and, and he's, he's the, this, this kid, I don't know why God does this, but sometimes he puts lots of responsibility in the most unlikely of places. So God chooses David. But what if David chose not to obey? Then what would happen? This is like a complete breakdown, right? Now, is King David perfect? No, he's not. And this is the thing that's amazing. When we look at David's life, you can read about it in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the beginning of 1 Kings. We see God's hand all over his life. We also see him blow it big time. Then we see him broken and repentant. And in Acts 13, 22, it even says this. It says, after removing Saul, this is Paul writing, he says, sorry, the author of Acts. Um, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. This is God talking about David now. It says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Do you think that God knew that David was going to blow it before he called him or after he called him? Okay. He, he called him knowing that this journey that David had was going to be an incredible one. Lots of ups, lots of downs. And he, yet he still chose him. And that's amazing. For me, that gives me hope because I mess up all the time. I make mistakes every day. I'll make a mistake right now probably sometime in when I'm talking. But to me, that's so encouraging because it shows David as a man with every human emotion, dealing with every temptation that we have to deal with, um, you know, has tons of blessing. And, and don't, don't kid yourself, if you really look into his story, man, there's a lot of stuff that went on. When it, there was sin, man, it was dealt with. And there was consequence. I mean, it was, talk about making a movie with lots of drama in it. Uh, and so even though he was a man after God's own heart, even though he, God knew he was going to mess up and he still chose him anyways, there was still consequence for all that stuff. So as we're obedient, um, as we're following Christ, um, there's going to be times when we just blow it and expect the consequence to come. Just because you repent doesn't mean that those seeds that were sown aren't going to come up. And don't be discouraged by that. You know what that shows? God is just and he loves you. Because if he lets you slide, you'd never learn. That's not a loving father, is it? A loving father that says, here, go ahead and do whatever you want. I just want you to like me. And you begin to slowly just erode your life, destroy yourself. And there's no, so David didn't, <laughs> he didn't escape from any of that stuff. He had to deal with, with all that. So here's the deal, though, is David's obedience absolutely reveals Jesus. So you have Jesse and David and the whole lineage, and David need to be, needed to be obedient, and he said he chose him. God said he chose him because he was going to do everything he wanted him to do, and that's really cool. So it wasn't easy. He had to overcome big problems. There are consequences to all his actions, but he remained obedient till the end. There's a verse in James 1.12 It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, as we follow and as we obey, we're picking up that cross. When we persevere, we're going to be blessed. 
And I want you to understand that because I want today to be a point of not just challenge to be obedient, to do the hard thing, but to know that you'll be blessed through your obedience as Christ is revealed through that. When Jesus, reveal, when Jesus is revealed through our obedience, he is also revealed to the world. You understand that. Our obedience and our discipleship following Jesus reveals Christ to ourselves, Jesus to ourselves, but the more powerful thing is that it reveals Christ to the world. I was one at, once asked by someone, if someone followed you around for a day, James, would your life point them to you or to Jesus? Now let me repeat that again. If someone followed you around for a day, would your life point them to yourself or would it point them to Jesus? And I'll tell you what, when I start thinking about that, start thinking about even just that very day, I honestly, be transparent with you, I couldn't say that my life that day pointed anybody to Jesus. And I know if you think about the days that you go, day by day, week in and week out, in the paying the bills and, you know, taking care, raising the family and going to school and dealing with friendships and all those other kind of things, sometimes our days just don't lead people to Jesus. And man, I want every day that I live, if someone were to watch me, it would never point to me, it would always point to Jesus. And it was a very powerful statement because the opposite of that is true, that if I do obey and follow and Christ begins to be revealed in me, then I'm always pointing people to Jesus in everything that I do. I want to share a story with you that hopefully will give you a small example of that. I had this picture in my office that someone gave me. Um, it's a collage of uh, me and my friends and my family uh, working at a house down the street um, uh, where we used to live in La Habra, California. And um, a young man named Michael and his mother used to live there. And, and um, uh, just I look at it and it's a reminder of making sure that Christ is revealed in me Every day I want to share with you um, the contents of that picture. Uh, we used to live at the top of a hill, and at the bottom of the hill was an intersection. You really couldn't get out of our neighborhood too easy. Kind of always had to go. Every day I had to go to this down this hill to the intersection and turn left and right. And uh, I, I noticed a couple times after we moved in that there was a young man that would be uh, trimming his grass, but um, normally he had raggedy clothes on sometimes he would almost be naked i'm not exaggerating and he would be cutting his grass with a pair of scissors and um and i saw it multiple times my wife and my girls saw it too and um i, I observed this a few times and, and it kind of bothered me it's like okay this guy is out of it he's mentally ill i mean nobody goes out like that and cuts their grass with scissors it, it wasn't like he had some kind of thing where he had to have a perfect lawn his house wasn't that attractive was kind of just a regular old house and but i observed him doing this from time to time um after a while uh the yard started getting uh, unkept bushes started growing grass started getting longer it looked like nobody was taking care of it anymore and uh and god told me james you need to go mow that lawn and i said yeah sure i'll do it you know but i never did and then i drive by again and lawn gets worse and James, you need to go mow that lawn. Okay, God, I will, but I never did. 
And a few months went by, and the yard began to get worse and worse and worse. Finally, I said, okay, I got to do this. I got to mow this, this lawn. I mean, nothing's happening. I don't know why God's telling me this, but he won't leave me alone. Every time I go by the house, I, I feel God tell me, mow that lawn. So one day, I, uh, instead of doing my own yard and all that kind of stuff, I loaded up all my stuff in my truck, drove down the hill, and just started mowing. Now, I knocked on the door and everything, but no one answered. And Because uh, it's kind of weird, right, going to a stranger's house. I mean, if you're one of those people that didn't really take care of your yard and all of a sudden somebody decided to take care of it for you, that'd be a little bit odd, right? And so I knock on the door, nobody's there. I'm like, Whew. okay, hurry up and mow the lawn before he gets back, you know, so we can surprise him. And uh, so I mowed it, and uh, while I was mowing it, several neighbors came by and said, you know what, it's about time someone took care of that eyesore. Uh, multiple people said that in various ways. Everybody was really happy with me taking care of the disgusting mess. Funny that none of them ventured to try to do it. In fact, I lived, I don't know, a half a mile from the, from the top of the hill to the bottom. I never even had to look at his house. These are all the people that walked by every single day. His neighbors, like two or three houses down, they had a lot to say, and they were very thankful. And so I kept mowing it, never met the, and so I mowed it, and every other week I mowed the lawn. I trimmed the bushes, I whacked the weeds, I, you know, if I saw garbage, I would put it in the garbage can, and I just, God didn't tell me to stop. I still never met anybody. I didn't know who lived there. Hadn't seen the young man uh, in, in quite a while, and uh, I just kept mowing the lawn. One day, I go to mow the lawn, and there's a sticker on the door, and I go to look at it, and it's the county has condemned the home. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? This is really weird. But God didn't tell me not to stop mowing the lawn. So I kept mowing the lawn of a condemned house. And I'm just like, God, what are you doing? But I couldn't let it go because he kept telling me, do what I'm telling you to do. So I did it. So the house is condemned. One day, a gentleman comes up in this little minivan. It's an older fellow. And he introduces himself. Hey, um, I'm Jim. I just want to thank you for taking care of my son's house. I, I know that someone's been doing it. And I've been trying to connect with you. Finally, I'm catching you here mowing this lawn. And uh, he told me his story. He said that his son, Michael, used to live there with his mother. They had been divorced for a long time, so it was just Michael and his mom. And this gentleman, Jim, the father, lived someplace else. He said that uh, Michael's mom had died a few months back. And uh, she used to make sure that he got all his medication. And uh, so he stopped taking his medication. So that's why we would see him from time to time in his yard doing odd things. And then one day they found him in the Walmart parking lot naked and dead. And, uh, and then obviously no one's taking care of the house. No one's doing anything. And neighbors are getting concerned. Here's this crazy bald Puerto Rican guy mowing his yard. You know, I don't know anything that's going on. I'm discovering this bit by bit by bit. And so I, uh, I, I, I said, you know, Jim... I'm going to continue to mow this lawn because it's just what I want to do. And he, he didn't really say much. He's telling the story of his wife, that had, his ex-wife that had died and his son. And this is all really, in one sense, really overwhelming to him. And so I just said, Jim, I know this has got to be really hard for you. It's a condemned home. Um, your son just died a bit ago. 
you know, and, uh, and sometimes I didn't see him because Michael, Michael would go back and forth to the hospital. So this whole time he wasn't gone. Just been just this recent thing. And so I told him, I said, Jim, here's my card. If you need anything at all, I'm going to continue to know your son's lawn because that's what I just am supposed to do. I didn't get all spiritual or religious. I just, I didn't say, God told me, you know, because I didn't want him to get all weirded out or whatever because it's already odd. And so I just kept mowing the lawn. And uh, I had met the dad and everything. And, and then this was kind of blowing me away. And, uh, and I'm kind of, stuff is getting revealed to me. It's saying, you know, it's like, wow, okay, the mom dies and the guy, and then he's dead, and the dad has to take care of this big mess, and the house is condemned and everything else. And, and so I share it with my church. And they're just like, whoa, what's going on, Pastor James? You know, and it began to inspire them and spark them to look around in their life and, and look around in the world, and what is God telling you to do? So number one, as God, the first point that Christ, Christ got to be revealed is first of all with me and Jim, that this guy that he didn't know had no motive, decided to take care of his dead son's house. And then as I began to share with my congregation, they felt like, wow, okay, what's going on here? And I didn't say it at a bragging point or anything because I still have more of a story to tell you. And so I, I just share it with my congregation and they begin to be like, whoa, what happened? What's going on, you know? And uh, one day after sharing the story, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Pastor James, did you know that Michael used to go to our church? And I'm like, no. He goes, yeah. He always used to dress really dirty and smelly, and he used to sit way in the back, way in the back, right about over there by the doors. No one would ever talk to him or say hi to him or anything. Really? Yeah. And I went to the pastor. Pastor, is that true? Yeah. The, the guy you're talking about? Yeah, um, he did used to go here. He went here for a few months, but no one would, no one would associate with him, and so we didn't see him after a while. And I'm like, whoa, okay, another part to that story. Let's, and I'm thinking, how many opportunities did maybe, I don't know if he knew the Lord. I don't know any of that. And no one will know. Why? Only God knows because the story is just so discombobulated. And, and so another layer get, gets peeled off. Then dad one day calls me. I didn't think he was going to take me up on it. He calls me and uh, he says, you know, James, this is really weird. I feel really uncomfortable. But uh, the house is condemned and we can't sell it and I got to sell it. I got to clear up this whole mess. You know, you got two dead family members, and, and it's just, it's a mess. And I, I, I hate to ask you this, but can you, can you help me at all? I said, Jim, we'll do anything that you need to do. I'm still mowing the yard, and, and I'm still taking care of it the best I can, whatever you need me to do. He goes, well, we've got to go in and clean it up a little bit because I need to get it uncondemned so we can actually sell it. So I said, fine, I'll get some of my friends together. They'd already been in on my story, so I said, hey, you know the house that I've been mowing mysteriously? <laughs> uh, the owner wants me to clean it up. So I get my friends and my children, and we go down the street, and we meet Jim, and he's got one of those big, huge uh, dump, dump uh, I don't even know what they call them, a huge dumpster that comes on the back of like a 10-wheel. And, uh, and so it's sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, that's a big dumpster for just a little tiny house. We go inside, and it was the most incredible, can't even describe what this young man and his mother were living in. I mean, you know, you can imagine what bathrooms would look like. We went into one room, and, and I'm not exaggerating, um, there w the, it was filled with stuff this high. J the, the door couldn't be open. I mean, there was stuff in there. We, would, we had to wear gloves and long sleeves and masks and 
hats and everything because obviously now we're realizing, wow, it was condemned for a reason. But this young man and his mother were living in this. And I'm just like, wow, God, right under my own nose. And then I begin to think, what if I would have been obedient earlier on when God was first telling me, when Mike was, because what I didn't tell you was, when God was telling me to mow this young man's lawn, he was still alive. And I had to deal with that, my disobedience. Because maybe God had a conversation in store for me and him that I was supposed to have. Maybe I was supposed to try to get him some help to get him his medication. And you could go down that road and really beat yourself up, right? That's what the enemy wants to do, doesn't he? But I had to move on. And I, and I could say, wow, I'm going to learn this. I'm never going to live in that place again. Never going to go there again when I have to question why wasn't I not obedient when God was telling me. So we're moving on, and we're continuing to serve. It took us, I don't know, two weekends, um, 15 of us, to clean that house. It was just the most heart-wrenching thing that I've ever seen. I think it was the second, or the was it the first weekend or second where Jim got really emotional with us? I think it was it the first. We we go in there, and here's the cool thing, is this: you can imagine what your emotions would be like going into someone's house that you don't know. It's condemned, and it's just the nastiest, most disgusting thing you've ever seen, right? I got little kids and my friends and teenagers and and neighbors and helping, and you can imagine you'd be like just trying not to trying not to throw up. It was that bad. But the whole time, no one ever grumbled. Not one. Not a one of them ever grumbled or complained. They just served. And uh, I get emotional talking about it because, you know, my kids were in there too, doing all this. And I'm just thinking, um, man, how could someone live like this? How could someone live and die like this almost unrecognized? And so we just do it and like, everybody was smiling and so happy. They're just like, I just want to do something. And so, excuse me. <clears throat> we get done with our first day. Jim is watching us interact all day. And he just comes out and he's like me. He's like, I can't believe you guys would do this for me. I can't believe you guys would be so like eager to do this and serve me. And uh, he goes, you know, we're not done yet. And we're all like, sign me up whenever you want. Two weeks later, another dumpster. I mean, we're talking, we filled the dumpsters to about as full as they could go each time. I think the second dumpster might have even been bigger than the first one. And so Jim's just, in fact, in one of the pictures, I'm standing next to Jim. He was standing there looking at us, and he was just overwhelmed with emotion he couldn't even hardly choke the words out um, as he's watching these people who don't even know him just be Jesus, just being obedient. And uh, so in this process, the two weeks, what had happened was there was neighbors all around, the ones that were complaining, and they started coming around going, what the heck is going on? Hey, this house is getting cleaned up. Sweet, you know. But then two weeks later, what happened? We didn't know this. We're just working and cleaning. Stop crying. <laughs> no, they're crying. Um, we, uh, we didn't know this, but the first time that we were there doing this, everybody was watching us. We didn't know. 
I mean, all eyes were on us in the whole neighborhood. Beca and the way we found out was that two weeks later when we get to do it again, guess who started to show up to come help? The neighbors that didn't know Jesus, that didn't even like this guy, that, that thought the house was disgusting because when that one house ruins my value on my house, right? We want the neighborhood to look good. They're walking in the flesh. And that's what people do that live in the world. They walk in the flesh. But they came to help us. And then all of a sudden, hey, aren't you, aren't you that Christian that's helping fix up that house over there? Aren't you those people that go to that church? Aren't you those Jesus, you know? I mean, weird comments coming to me and like, I never shared, I never told them I was from a church. Honestly, I did not. We never hung a sign. It didn't say, you know, uh, gateway young adult group cleaning project. We never did any of that. We just did what we were supposed to do. But you know what's cool? When Jesus is revealed, the word spreads like wildfire. It's contagious like a virus. Amen? We didn't have to advertise. We didn't have to promote. We didn't have to make announcements in the church bulletin. We didn't have to do any of that. We just let Jesus be revealed in us. Through our, probably the strongest thing we did was our attitudes. Just gratefully, just with our mouths closed, doing what we needed to do in a really tough situation. So now all of a sudden, the neighbors are starting to get affected. So we meet and, and uh, we say goodbye to Jim and we're all hugging and everything and stuff. And, and we say goodbye and I think it was, he said something, he goes, man, I wish I could do something for you. I just wish I could do something for you. He said, that's not what it's about. In fact, you know what? If you ever want, I would love to just take you out to coffee and talk to you. Just offer myself to him. Whatever you want, whatever you need, we'll be there for you. And um, about a month later, two months later, I get this little note in the mail. And uh, there's a little thank you on it. And a check for $1,000. Now, not saying that I cared about the $1,000, but let me tell you how the world thinks. For him to write a check to a person he never met for $1,000, that's huge, isn't it? Would you give $1,000 to a stranger? That's a tough one. So that said huge things to me, that this guy was so touched, saw something that could, could not be explained, really, because being Jesus, like being Christ like a supernatural, right? We know how to be us. We know how to be selfish, self-centered, you know, impatient. All those kind of things. But when we, when he saw that, it like spurred him. And I'll tell you what, when the world, those who live in the world, when they start doing that kind of stuff, it was huge to me. I'm like, wow, what it took for him to, to just say, here's $1,000. Do with it what you wish. I just, I, I, it's the only way I could convey my thanks to you guys. That said a lot. The bummer is that, um, and then after that, I was able to actually go back to our congregation and say, you remember the story we've been living out in front of you guys? You know the situation that being the college students and my family's been, been dealing with? Well, this, this is what happened. And th then all of a sudden it stirs up the fire again. They come, wow. You know, and then we start sharing stories about what God's doing as he's revealed through our obedience. Um, I don't know Jim's story after that. But I do know this. I was faithful and I was obedient. And that's all I'm supposed to do. And thank goodness, right? Because if we had to guarantee the, 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 the outcome, we'd be in trouble. A and we couldn't live with that. The pressure's not on us. The pressure's only on us to obey. The pressure for the, for the result, God says, I'll take care of that. I'll carry your burden. 
all through the power of the Holy Spirit draw men unto you. So, even though I don't, I don't know how that ended, I'm confident that my obedience did what it was supposed to do. But I want to ask you about your story. You know, you're here this morning and you're thinking, who's this short little bald dude? You know, I don't even know him. And, uh, and he's telling us all this stuff and he's crying and, and everything and, and all that. But, you know, I'm convinced of this one thing. The only hope for the world is Jesus. The only hope for the world is Jesus. But here's the crazy thing. He's chosen us to be his ambassadors. He's chosen us to be his ambassadors. And that's no small thing. We revisit back verse Ma uh, Matthew 28, 18. It says, I'm gonna, I want to read this again because I think it's important that you guys get this. Matthew 28, 18 um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And here's the clincher for me. And it says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's really cool because God calls us to obedience, but then he backs it up with his presence. And that's really cool. One of the things that really bugged me when I was a kid, some people would tell me what to do, but they wouldn't, really, they wouldn't be willing to walk alongside me to show me how to do it or to make sure that it, you follow me. And we're pretty good at that. Go do this. Go do that. Go do that over there. But God doesn't do that. He says, go make disciples, and I'm going to be with you the whole way through for your mother, for your grandmother, for your great, great, grandkids that you won't even see. I'm going to be with them too. That's a huge, huge promise. So as he challenges us to do a pretty incredible thing, he also commits to be with us every step of the way. And that's really cool because now I know that when I'm out there doing it, when I'm obeying, when I'm following, when I'm being mocked for my faith, that Jesus is with me. And he experienced it, right? So he knows what we're feeling. I'm going to ask the worship team, and I want to invite the altar workers to come because this is what we're going to do. I, I think... I've set something out there, and you're thinking, okay, who's this guy? He's telling these stories about this guy, and that's such a crazy story, and that's probably not going to happen to me, those kind of things, and it probably won't, and I hope that it doesn't. But as you get opportunities, you, you need to have the, the, the boldness, the courage, the strength to seize those things because obedience is not always easy. But if I look in Acts 1.8, it says this, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard uh, me speak about. For John baptized you with water, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as we try to be obedient and follow Matthew 28, we also need the strength of Acts 28. And here's the cool thing is, residing within each one of you, if you're a follower of Christ, is already the presence of the Holy Spirit. You already have everything it takes to be obedient, even when the price is high. You already have all the strength, the courage, everything that you need. You've been fully equipped and released to go do what God's telling you to do. And it's different for each and every one of you. So what we want to do is take a time. If you feel like, wow, I just don't know. It's a scary thing. I, 
we want to pray for you. We want to spend some time saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit abides within you. It dwells within you. Let that thing rise up and strengthen you so that you can be obedient and Christ can be revealed through that obedience. So um, we're going to have altar workers come and, and we're ready to pray for you and do some ministry. I just want to encourage you, if you've been challenged by anything that I've said and you feel like, wow, I need that. I need that extra stuff. I need to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit within me. We want to pray for you that you'll walk in that thing that you already possess because then you'll have what it takes to be obedient in those challenging times. So we just want to invite you to come forward if you want to receive ministry.